Yo, 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 man, what's good, what's going on, people, welcome back to episode 5 of the Bet On Yourself podcast, man, hosted by yours truly, Amon Lot, man, we back in the building this week with a lot of great topics, this is going to be a great show, man, great thorough research done for this one, man, so I think you guys are going to really enjoy this one, and I will say, this is probably going to be the last show that we have without callers, I finally done figured it out, y'all, we're going to have callers live next week, man, for sure, I promise, but check this out, man, let's get into it, man. We're going to tap into a lot uh, on this episode. I got two blasts from the past for y'all this week. I normally have one, but I got two. We're going to discuss, you know, some branding, some motivational things. We're also going to discuss Jordan, The Last Dance. Another episode uh, comes out tonight. I think it's part four and five. We're going to discuss Jordan's finals opponents versus LeBron finals opponents. And what we're going to do, we're going to keep it non-biased. It's going to be non-biased basketball. We're just going to talk. We're going to talk numbers, and we're going to let the numbers, and we're going to talk skill level. We're going we're gonna to really get into who they faced when they captured the rings. Because I think that matters. Even though in context, Jordan is 6-0, and and we're not comparing who's greater, but we're just going to compare the, uh, the excuse me opponents. Uh, next up, we also got the G League. We got some new athletes who uh, decided to take that jump. You know we got the NFL talk coming, and we're going to talk about what could possibly go forth right now with the NCAA just announcing that collegiate uh, football athletes were not allowed to be paid uh, starting in uh, 2021. So that money is not going to be coming in. So that's that's another big topic that we got to discuss. But with no further ado, let's get into it. Um, I had one of my homeboys, shout out to my boy said he uh, gave me a, a great topic suggestion uh, about having a brand and staying motivated and not getting discouraged throughout the process. Now, I know we always throw around the term uh, trust the process, TTP. You got to trust the process. You got to stay down. But it's the actual truth because you have to trust the process. Rome was not built overnight. I think that was one of my, my show titles in the beginning of this thing. It's not going to happen for you overnight. You have to you have to buy into the long term understanding that, OK, the work that I put in now is going to help me and set me up for the blessings that I'm going to receive in a year. You know, or it could be two years, you know, whenever God is ready to put it on you, because sometimes we're not ready as well. You know, you you have to be 100 percent committed to that vision or particular passion that you have for it to succeed. And like I like I've always been harping on and saying is consistency, 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 you know, especially with a brand, because you have to watch it grow. That's a, it's a part of the process. It's a beautiful thing where you can watch the numbers go up. You watch the engagement go up. You watch the interaction drive up. It's because it's a part of the process. It's a journey. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a mile, not a sprint. You know, we, I think it's like social media does. It's, it's such a great tool, but it's also a hindrance for our minds, I feel like, because it's like it gives you a snapshot of instant gratification and instant success. And that's only in such a small, small, small sample size of, of what's really going on out here. It doesn't it doesn't happen like that. You know, it does not happen like that. Those are rare cases. Your life can change in a day. It can change in a year. But those are rare cases. Most of us have most of us out here have to lock in, buckle down and grind it out the hard way to get the way you want to be. So when you have a brand, you can't get in your own way. You know, you can't be afraid of the work. You can't be afraid of the of, of the consistency. That's just what it is. You have to be consistent. And you got to understand that, like, there are going to be low points throughout the process. You know, just because you have a vision doesn't mean it's going to come to come to true fruition every time. It's not going to work every time 100 percent how you thought it was going to work. 
There's going to be bumps along the road. You know, you may take a loss or two. But the key about taking losses, and this is what I tell everybody, the key about taking a loss is how you respond. It's the response to the loss. The response is the most important part. How you respond to the adversity is key. It's all about your attitude and about your perception and the way you look at Dog, okay, can I take something from this loss? Can I learn something from this loss that's going to help me move forward and be a more effective business, a better brand, a better person, period? Because that's all of what it's about. It's about growing. Because one thing about it, in comfortable situations, they're going to continue to come. And you're going to be stuck in another tough situation where you have to make decisions on the fly. So that's just what, to me, that's just what it's all about. Troubleshooting, critical thinking, being able to stand calm under pressure. You got to just stand calm under pressure. And I just feel like if, if you stay down, it don't matter what you're doing, what field, whether it's media, whether it's sports, whether it's in, fool, anything, whatever, whatever, no matter what field, if you stay down and you continue to chip away at it and be consistent, you're going to be successful. And that's just how I feel, man, for real. So, man, all my business guys, all my entrepreneurs out there, anybody who has their own brand or any aspirations of doing something, go do it. Search it. Go for it. You are in your own way a lot of the time. Like I've been harping for all my new listeners, you are in your own way a lot of the times of your own success. You, you the one blocking your blessing. And that's just true facts. But let's get it going. Let's keep it moving, man. I got two blasts from the past this week, man. And I'm telling y'all, I love both of these guys. And I'm sure you've never heard of either person. But first up, I got Mac Robinson. Okay. Does that ring a bell, guys? Mac Robinson. I'm sure it did. Okay, he was a Olympic track star, African-American brother, by the way, uh, hailing from Cairo, Georgia. Okay, he finished second in the 1936 Summer Olympics. Okay, 1936 now. I know y'all like, why is he going back that far? Sit with me and ride with me. This is a great story. 1936 Olympics. Okay, so who was the superstar at Olympics? Jesse Owens. One of the most prolific and famous track stars of our time of our history african-american history just track period jesse owens is one of those guys who you have to always mention okay he shattered all of the records national workers world records he shattered all of them representing the usa do you know who came in second behind him mac robinson okay he he also shattered enormous records in the same summer olympics and as a matter of fact, he finished behind Jesse Owens, uh, I think 0.4 seconds behind Jesse Owens in the 200 meter where, where Owens shattered the record. He shattered the record. Mac Robinson also broke a record, but it wasn't a knowledge because he was a silver medalist. Because people always, they always want to know who won first. They look at the second place and third place, but they primarily are focused on first place. So here's the kicker and the great part about Mac Robinson. He also is the older brother of Jackie Robinson. Look at that. Ain't, ain't, ain't that a strong bloodline? You got one Olympic track star, and then you got another groundbreaking three-sport athlete in Jackie Robinson who, is, who became to be one of the best baseball players ever. Dope, right? On to my second uh, blast from the past. So shout out to Mac Robinson, by the way. Olympic track star, went on uh, at the University of Oregon, broke multiple NCAA indoor and outdoor records. He's in the Oregon Hall of Fame for the state of Oregon and also the college. So just showing what type of impact he had out there on the West Coast. He was an elite athlete, you know, but a lot of people always don't talk about the second place. So I had to give 
Shout out to the second place. He finished behind the historic Jesse Owens. But Mac Robinson is also a legend himself. So y'all shout out to Mac Robinson. Do your research on my guy. But back to the story. I also told you that Mac Robinson was the older brother of Jackie Robinson. Right? So here's our second blast from the past. Larry Doby. Okay? Larry Eugene Doby, by the way. From Camden, South Carolina. Okay, what does he do? Larry Doby was the second African-American to break the color barrier in baseball and actually the first African-American to play in the American League. Okay, so we always talk about the first and here again, you really don't acknowledge the second. But Larry Doby was an excellent athlete. Okay, coming out of high school, he, he was from, um, like I say, from South Carolina. Coming out of high school, he accepted a basketball scholarship to go to Long Island. So again, another three-sport athlete, just like Jackie Robinson, just like Mac, it just goes to show you the versatility that African-American athletes had back in the day. He was a, he, he turned out to be you know an all-time great baseball player, but he also had scholarships for basketball and football. But he joined the Long Island um, basketball team and went off and started his career. Okay, tell you this, World War II, he joined the Navy, went and served, okay? He returned back to the States in 1946. We began to, you know, jumpstart his baseball career. He started playing. And in 1947 is when he joined the uh, Cleveland Indians. Okay, this was three months after Jackie Robinson had broke the original color barrier. Larry Doby returns and joins the Cleveland Indians after winning a Negro League championship in 1946. Okay, let me just take you a little bit down his career highlight list. Seven-time All-Star. Okay. 2X, which is two-time AL American League home run leader, okay, come back in 1954 and lead, lead the American League in RBIs. The Cleveland Indians have retired his number. He's in the Cleveland Indians Hall of Fame and also the National Hall of Fame. And then one of my favorite, favorite tidbits about Larry Doby is he was the first African-American alongside his fellow teammate, Satchel Page, who's also one of the greatest pitchers, Negro League or American League pitcher of all time to win a World Series. So he was the first African-American to come to the American League and the first African-American to win a World Series. Shout out to Larry Doby because I'm sure you didn't know him. And Larry Doby and Mac Robinson are this week's blast from the past. So man, y'all check them two out, man. They were two great elite athletes of their time. But I feel like a lot of the times, these are some of the names that get lost in the shuffle. This is the reason why I do this segment. Blast from the past, y'all check it out. Only on Better Yourself Podcast. Let's keep it moving, y'all. So check this out, man. As I've been watching, you know, the Last Dance series, it's been a great, great, great show so far. ESPN has done a great job of releasing it, you know, segment by segment, how they're breaking it down. I love it. It feels like a movie every time we we tune in on Sunday evening. But it, it, it had me thinking as we in time, as we had watched uh, each finals opponent that Jordan was heading up and gets and, you know, watching him take his chops and earn, earn his keep in the league and earn his respect in the league. It made me want to line up his first five finals opponents and line them up against LeBron's first five finals opponents. Okay, so let's get started. 1991, we know uh, Jordan attained his first title against Magic and the Lakers. Okay, of course, this was not the Magic Magic, but he still was Magic. Okay, he was averaging 18 and 12 assists. Okay, James Worthy was was the leading scorer. They didn't have a 20-point score on the team. I'm not I'm not taking nothing against that, against that win. Okay, Jordan went crazy that year. Uh, he was finals MVP in 91, 31 points, 11 assists, six boards. So he had a great series, but back to the Lakers. Magic, like I say, only 18 points a game. James Worthy, 19 points. 
These guys were, were, were tethering down on their career, on the back end of their career. They had Sam Perkins down low, giving you 17, 18 points, and Vladi Divac. So they were, they were, they were solid, a solid team. Solid, not an elite, elite, you know, Showtime Lakers team. Uh, Brian Scott didn't play that entire year, but they, they were still formidable. They were still formidable. Let's jump on down to the LeBron's uh, first finals. Back in 07, he ran up on a tough, tough Tim Duncan team. Okay? Tim Duncan, 18 and 12. Tony Parker, 25 and 5. He was finals MVP in 07. That's crazy. Manu Ginobili, 17 and 4. Bruce Bowen, 14 points a game. This was a complete team. LeBron was overmatched, but it was his first final, so people were still saying he's a young pup. He has a lot to do. But what I want to realize here, what I want to recognize here, I want you to guess LeBron's second best player on that team. Please. Okay, I didn't think you could guess. Drew Gooden, man. This man took Drew Gooden, Daniel Booba Gibson to the finals, dog. That's ridiculous, bro. LeBron, at a young LeBron, went for 25, 7, and 8. Okay, they got swept. We know that. The Spurs got a hold of them. But that, that was that was a very, very weak roster that he led. But shout out to Mike as well. He got his. Okay, so let's jump on down to 92. Uh, the Bulls defeated the Blazers. Led by Clyde Drexler, who was averaging 25 and 7. Clyde was nice. Now, don't get me wrong. But the Blazers' next best player was Terry Porter. Hmm. Head scratcher, guys. He was averaging 17. I love Terry Porter, too. Now, he's, hey, he was a solid point, but that was not a, not a, not a tough Blazers team, even though we know that Jordan had to knock down some teams in the East to get there. Okay, so moving along to Bron, 2011. And this, you could probably say, is LeBron's most embarrassing finals loss and appearance and most least talented team that LeBron played against in the finals. Uh, led by the Dirk, uh, Dirk Nowinski and the Dallas Mavericks. Dirk was unreal this series. That whole playoffs, Dirk was unreal. If you don't know about Dirk Nowinski too as well, he had a three to four year run where he was really unstoppable. The, those, the, the turnaround fade, he, he, he changed the game with that for sure. That series, he's at, he averaged almost 27 points a game, 10 rebounds. You had Jason Terry on the roof, uh, averaging 18. Tyson Chandler led uh, the NBA in rebounds, playoffs, and regular season that year. They were just a tough ball club. And that Miami team, you know, that was the first year that they got together. Not one, not two, not three. They were talking crazy. And people wanted, people had them on their list. And, and that, I, I, do, I also want to acknowledge that that Mavericks team, boy, they took out some teams that year. Some teams. They took Kobe out. They took uh, the Spurs out. Man, they, they, they took some teams out that year. That Mavericks team was on a mission for real. So, like I said, they didn't have as much star power. I think Jason Kidd was on that team. Deshaun Stevens. They had a lot of guys who want to go in the alley and, and, and knuckle up with you. Sean Marion. They had a lot of tough, tough guys on that roster who, who made sure that they, they, they stuck through. But I'll say this. After that series, because LeBron, I think he didn't even average 20. I think he averaged 17 or 18 that series. After that series, the, the microscope was on and the pressure was on. Because a lot of people still don't let him live down that 2011-2012 that year. But he came back and held it up. Okay, so moving along in 93, uh, Michael Jordan and the Bulls, they faced the Phoenix Suns. Okay, with Charles Barkley, Sir Charles on the back end of his career. But he still was getting buckets. 27-13 and 13 and 5 for that series. Uh, Dan, uh, Dan Marley, he averaged 17. Dan was okay. He was a nice formula player. Kevin Johnson also averaged 17. Jordan averaged 41 and 7 that series in 93. That's ridiculous. He was a scoring machine at that point. But it, come on, man. The Suns, man, they couldn't handle them, man. They would handle 
they were handling most of the series, man. Charles was doing what he could do, but there were no match for Mike and Scotty. No match for Mike and Scotty. Moving along to 2012, when arguably when it's all said and done, this may be one of the most talented teams that LeBron played against. But it's crazy because you, you can't even put these guys over the Warriors, but they were crazy at the time. We didn't know who James Harden was going to be yet, but let's check out 2012 when uh, Miami knocked down uh, Oklahoma, Oklahoma City in to a in route of obtaining LeBron's first NBA title. Durant averaged 30 and 7 that series. Russell averaged 27, 6, and 5. We just knew that those young bulls were gonna be back. It's crazy to think that that Thunder team, no, none of these stars are no longer on that team. None of them. You know, it just goes to show like of what could have been out there. Uh, like I said, they had James Harden. James Harden averaged 15 that series, and you still had Serge Ibaka on that roster. You still had Derek Fisher and those guys on that roster. It was a solid roster, but LeBron knocked those guys off. That was that was one of a, a, a great moment in time for basketball, seeing LeBron obtain his first title. That was that was a very dope experience. LeBron averaged 28, 10, and 9 that series. So, dope. 2012. So, let's move along. 1996. Gary the Glove Payton and the Seattle Supersonics alongside Big Sean Kemp. Okay, I respect what they did, I, but again, this was a good win, but they were no match for Mike them. Gary averaged 18 and 7. Sean came back 23 and 10. This was a solid series. Uh, they had a, a real, a real, real, real upstart team out there in Seattle. And I think they, if it wasn't for Jordan, they probably could have got through a few times, to be honest. Um, Mike, you know, finals MVP, of course, again, but that team was, was not great, great. But you have to give credit for Jordan for beating who's in front of him. At the end of the day, he was beating who's in front of him. He went 6-0. So you can't you can't fault him for beating who was in front of him. Moving on down to LeBron. Okay. So that get that that brings us to the, 20, to the 2013 series versus Spurs. Now, and I'll tell you, the Spurs in this two to three year window, they were probably one of the most ball sound and fundamental teams offensively I had ever watched. The way the ball moved from side to side and they would skip pass and the shooters that they had, the role players that they had. These teams were just super, super, super talented, man. And it just goes to show you how in-depth the Spurs were in the scouting department because they always could get guys who fit their system. But that's neither here nor there. 2013, uh, LeBron knocked them off again, so they went back to back. Tim Duncan went 19-12 and 12 down, uh, down low. Tony Parker, 17. Kawhi. This is baby Kawhi now. 15 and 11 that year. Okay, and Bron finished, you know, with MVP 2017 and 9. But it's just crazy that that was baby Kawhi on that team. We did not know that Kawhi would turn out to be what he is now at the time. He was just a lockdown defender who could finish and slash, but he he's turned his game all the way up. Okay. So moving along again, we're gonna move on down to 90, 1997 for Mike, and they played against uh, the Utah Jazz. Of, very talented team, very uh tough team. A lot of lot of guys, Jeff Hornacek, a lot of guys who you know you might not have heard of. John Stockton down, uh, John Stockton at the point guard position, 15 points, eight assists. Carmelo the mailman, 23 points, 10 rebounds. Another talented team, Brian Russell. Those guys were talented, but again, no match for Mike. But I will say this: the Jazz had two opportunities to get a chip, and if it wasn't for Mike, they would for sure have one, for sure. Mike swindled Carl Malone out of a championship multiple times. Moving back down to LeBron. Like I said, they won in 2013 versus the Spurs and came right back in 2014 and played him again. And I'll tell you this. In 2014, like I told you, 
that was the most frustrating basketball I watched, man, because I'm telling you, the Spurs were so fundamentally sound, man. Tony Parker, 18 and 5. Kawhi, again, you see the jump and scoring from 15 to 18 points and uh, 8 rebounds. Tim Duncan, again, 17 to 10. Manu Ginobili gave you 15. And these guys right here were the guys who really won the series, Patty Mills. He was just shooting missiles, bombs from deep. Danny Green, Boris Diaw, Tiago Splitter. They were so deep and fundamentally sound led by Greg Popovich and well coached that they just, they knew, okay, that they had an opportunity in 2013 to win the championship. When they came back in 14, it was strictly business, dog. They had a they had a defensive strategy on how to defend LeBron because LeBron had reached a new height in his talent after he had achieved the championship. So it, it just was like, it shows you the greatness of a, of a great defensive mind and head coach of how they attacked LeBron defensively and offensively on the court with spacing. So that that Spurs team was tough. So I was done with, with Jordan there because, you know, at six, he played the Jazz again. But I'll tell you this. You look at LeBron's run when he played against that Warriors, the Warriors dynasty. That Warriors dynasty alone, those teams probably were better than potentially. I want to say all of the teams that Jordan played, but a few of them for sure. Those, those Warriors teams, I'm not even finna get into that. We'll, we, we'll skip down to 2017, okay? When when Steph averaged 27, Clay averaged 19, and KD gave you 35, 8, and 4. That's crazy, man. Then LeBron busts out arguably one of the best stat lines ever. The first triple-double stat line in the NBA Finals period. 33 points, 12 rebounds, and 10 assists. Only person to win the finals MVP was Jerry West in a loss. Shoot, Braun should have been the second. But that's neither here nor there. I just presented the facts for y'all. And I just wanted y'all to do y'all own research, develop your own decision on this about what competition was tough. Yes, Jordan did go undefeated. Like I said, you cannot fault him for beating what was in front of him. But I want you to rationalize, would he, would he have been able to do that same thing against the stronger talent? Just a little food for thought. Moving along, man. The G League gets another star in Deshaun Nix. He was a five-star point guard who was committed to UCLA. Decommitted from UCLA and announced that he's joining the G League to join Jalen Green now and Isaiah Todd. So that's three guys right now who's already on board. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, the NCAA is getting in trouble and they starting to sweat bullets. Like I told y'all, because they just announced that football is going to be able to start making money. So I don't know how they're going to potentially monetize that. But I'm telling you, I'm telling y'all, I'm telling y'all, this thing is going to continue to shake up because these, the NCAA will no longer have control over these young men's ability to make money. It's over. Basketball, football, it's over. And mind you now, let me let me bring you a let me bring a point to you now. And, and see, I don't I don't I hate doing this, but I, I, I'm just it's just the facts. There hasn't been a berry on baseball, hockey, golf. Although you can go pro right away, but the the two predominantly black driven sports, basketball and football, there've been barriers in the way from where you can get make that money right away. You can make that money right out of way, uh, right out of way in baseball, right away. So now that they're removing that, things are going to change, man. The game is going to change, man. The game is going to change tremendously. But I still, I still hope that there are some guys, because like I say, the collegiate game is becoming watered down. So just, just give guys the opportunity, the choice to go ahead and go straight there. Or if you do come, you're gonna have to stay too. That's what I like. 
Okay, so let 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 the guys have the opportunity to go straight to the league. Okay, but if you do come on campus, let them stay for two because the game has become watered down. These guys are in and out, one and done. You're really not really seeing guys develop their game, and and they're coming to the league unprepared. The game is not developed all the way yet. So I think this is good as well, sending these guys to the G League where they can work and work and skill build and get ready and get that get that confidence right for the NBA game because that's what that's what that's what that's what's going on. Guys just not coming prepared with all the tools. And be honest with yourself, man. Do you really think it's right that these colleges can make millions of dollars off paraphernalia, jerseys, uh, pictures, posters with your face on it? But because you go to the school and they're providing an education for what, six months for some of these guys, for Zion, for RJ Barrett, what, six months? They're providing an education for six months so that they can profit off of your likeness. I'm not going to tell you what that sounds like because you know the answer to that. <laughs> Moving along, man, to the next topic, dog. Hey, they're, you know, they're talking about potentially having sports without fans for a while because of the COVID-19 issues. And you know what? I don't have an issue with it. Everybody's freaking out about it. Hey, long as they can play the games, we'll be good, man. Hey, they talking about doing some NBA games at Disney, man. They might as well crank it up AAU style, man. I love it. I'll tell you this. Yes, without fans, that, that takes away some of the, you know, come you know prestige from the game and the passion from the game. But I'll tell you this, it'll be just like open gym. Let them boys play music in the gym and let's get it going. Let's run. OK, because we still need these games to be played. These contracts still need to be fulfilled. Let's play. Let's play ball. Let's play ball. And I'll tell you this, it's going to be big for the entertainment side of it, the streaming side of it, because all of these companies who have those abilities to give you the, the ability to watch a, a, a live game from your phone, live game from your computer, they're going to make more money. So the 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 fan aspect of it from having having the fan at the actual game in person will now force the consumer to purchase the content to watch live. So I, I think that the money's still going to be there because people is worrying about the money still still not being there. But I think it's just going to flop. It's going to flop from in-person to virtual for a while until they can get a hold of this virus. Okay, so moving along to the NFL. I told y'all, I don't think I told y'all at the beginning of the episode, but I think, I think it was episode one or two. I started off with the AFC South and the NFC South. So this week, we're going to break down the AFC West first and then the NFC West. But before we get into that, we got a couple couple big breaking topics that we got to discuss first so last night the cowboys just agreed to terms with andy dalton on a three three million dollar deal one year deal up to seven million dollars in incentives super good news for all my jaguar fans because it, it was looking like the jaguars were about to sign andy dalton and tell me please why does cameron newton still not have a job it's it's, it's a head scratcher people it's, it's really becoming a hand scratcher for me. Please get this man a job, Jacksonville. We need veteran help, y'all say. Y'all want a backup for the room. Please sign the brother, okay? Sign the brother. I told y'all Jameis went ahead and did his community service with the Saints. Cam waiting on his now. Get him his paperwork. We need it. Get the deal done. I'm tired of talking about it, okay? Because it's becoming embarrassing. Moving along. Okay, so Aaron Rodgers and my boy Brett Favre sat down and did a little talk interview this week. Everybody was trying to talk to Brett Favre to see what Aaron Rodgers was, was saying about Jordan Love being picked in the first round. Very similar when Aaron Rodgers was picked to replace Brett. It's a business, guys. It's a, this is just how it works. 
Do I think it was right? No, for the first round. You can add a receiver, an offensive tackle, a running back, something that can help me right now in this window. But it just goes to show you that business is always like it's it's, it's just business. Like you can't get you can't get your emotions tied in. They're always looking for your replacement. That's what I think mentally, how I approach the game, that they're always looking for your, your replacement, and especially with sports. It's, it's the draft. You're drafting guys, in a sense, to replace the guys that you have under contract. Better guys in some in some stances. So you have to work harder. But I don't I don't think Aaron's on the hot seat, but it just goes to show you that you know they have a new staff in place there. This is what their second year there. They're they're putting their feet down and letting them know, hey, we're here to stay and we're gonna run things in a different way than Mike McCarthy and company. So Aaron Aaron gonna have to get with it. Yeah, it's gonna be a little uncomfortable. Yeah, you got a Ricky to quote unquote coach up, but at the end of the day, that's not your responsibility because he's a quarterback. He can learn from you. Aaron Rodgers is one of the greatest quarterbacks physically of all time. How he can throw the ball on the run, throw the ball with accuracy, and throw the ball with arm talent. That's just he just he's just one of those great guys. You know, he's he's one of those great guys when it's all said and done. We're gonna mention Aaron Rodgers. I don't think he should feel any type of way. It's the it's the nature of the business. Dog eat dogs. Continue to ball out, brother. You got what? Two or three three more elite years left, I think. Maybe two. Yeah, really two, to be honest. So it's it's almost that time. He almost what? 34-35, come on, man. That's, that's how this works. I don't, I don't think he should be surprised on Paul anyway. I was a little caught off guard, but at the end of the day, I get it. Because quarterback is one of the most coveted positions in football, if not the most coveted position. So you even if you even if you have one and you got one that's older and he's on, and he's on his way out, you better plan for the future. Straight up. So let's get into, man, these divisional breakdowns, man. Let's start off with the AFC West. Congratulations to the Kansas City Chiefs, Robert, uh, Desmond, all y'all, man. Shout out to y'all. I'm tired of giving y'all y'all little shout outs, but shout out to y'all. Uh, so key additions of the offseason for me, it was Clyde Edwards for one. That was huge in the first round. To me, I, to me, the only thing that they lacked in was probably running the football last year, and that's because they didn't really do too much of it. They didn't have to they because they scored so much through the air with the great armor Patrick Mahomes but why give why not give him a great receiving back out of the backfield somebody who can also run between the tackles was Clyde Edwards out of LSU a great tough physical back I, I love the fit right away uh Andy Reid likes to use his guys as receivers so I, I think we'll see a lot of work with him and a one-two combo of him and Damian Williams those guys are gonna be tough to tough to tackle for sure but moving along they resigned Brashad Breeland on on a 4.5 million dollar contract they also just signed taco charlton the journeyman now who was released from the cowboys re-signed by the dolphins and now re uh released from the dolphins and picked up by the chiefs so we we'll see if he can can catch his footing in kansas city uh they also re-signed uh demarcus robinson shout out to the uf guy and they also franchise tag big chris jones in the middle but both sides are saying that they're trying to work for a long-term deal, but that would be important to get that guy locked up because he's a linchpin of the middle of your defense. And we really don't have much to talk about when it comes to Kansas City because they're returning so much. They got Tyreek Hill back, Sammy Watkins. You know Travis Kelsey's going to be there. Like I say, I, I look for these guys to make another run at the Super Bowl, and it's going to probably come down to them in Baltimore in the AFC Championship. I think that's going to be a big-time matchup. So seeding is going to be very important this year with the addition of two uh, playoff teams but moving along to the Chargers man uh big time rookie additions was Kenneth Murray um out of Oklahoma linebacker in the first round that was a great pickup and they also picked up Justin Herbert their quarterback from the future out of the University of Oregon so I, I think that's gonna be a good look for those guys they also uh 
picked up Brian uh, Beluga uh, on a $30 million contract worth three years. Uh, he was the offensive tackle in Green Bay. So he comes over from Green Bay. Now, mind you, this was after they traded uh, former tackle, standout tackle Russell Okun to the Carolina Packers for offensive guard Trey Turner. So I guess the, they're, they're, they swap there, go with a different tackle, and then get an elite guard from Carolina. So that was a good look for both sides. I think that was an even swap. On the offseason, they also signed Linvell Lim, Joseph, a big-time nose tackle on a two-year uh, million-dollar contract from the Vikings. I'm going to tell you, that was a nasty signing. It was worth 17 mil, two-year deal. But, boy, that's going to be a nasty signing for them. They franchise tag uh, Hunter Henry, one of the, I guess, elite up-and-coming tight ends in the league. And I'm going to tell you, my favorite signing that the Chargers did was Chris Harris. Chris Harris, Chris Strap Harris, man, you bring him over from uh, the Broncos. That defense is ridiculous and i've already talked about it on the podcast before but man listen derwin james you got murray in the middle now you add joseph up front down there with joy Bosa off the edge and melvin ingram you look on the back end you got casey award uh strap harris right next to him desmond king back there in the, in the slot nickel corner man they're gonna be cooking with hot grease hot grease so hey i don't know what how much they're gonna be able to do offensively I don't think they start off with the rook because they have Tyrod Taylor in position and a still formidable, solid offense. So I think they ease the rookie into things. But if things get ugly fast and they go ahead and decide to pull the trigger on Tyrod, I think moving forward, man, Herbert going to be able to hold it down. I really like what the Chargers got going on right now, man. So moving along to the Denver Broncos. And I really enjoyed their draft because they went all in on offense. And it matches up with what they did in free agency. I think I had mentioned before that they had uh, signed Melvin Gordon in, uh, for a two-year, $16 million deal. So that's a great pairing with Phillip Lindsay. They got a nice thunder and lightning one-two combo in that backfield now for years to come. They're going to run the football. But they will also throw it as well. Drew Locke at the quarterback position. It seems like they found their guy finally. Okay. You go out and get Jared Judy first in the first round, and you come back in the second round and get K.J. Hamler out of Penn State. So you get two little nice receivers, guys who can play on the outside or in the slot. You match those guys up with Cortland Sutton, the big-time, big-body receiver out of SMU. Then you have Noah Fant at tight end, who you just picked in the top 10, what, two years ago? So you're stockpiling the weapons around Drew Locke, giving him no excuse, really, to be honest. You give him no excuse. And they also picked up my boy uh, Tyree Cleveland from Jacksonville, Duval County, from the Florida Gators. Shout out to that boy, by the way. And you add Jarrell Casey from the Titans. for, And they traded this man for a seven-round pick. I was like, man, that's a, that's a steal. You put him on that D-line with uh, Chubb off the tip and Vaughn Miller? I look for those guys. I look. I look for the Broncos to be pretty good, man. That division gonna be pretty tough. So Kansas City should win it, but I don't think it's gonna be as easy as it's been. Moving along to the newly Las Vegas Raiders, they started off their draft picking up Henry Ruggs, taking him as the first receiver off the board, which was kind of a shocker, but not really if you know the game. Ruggs is a big, big time wide receiver, and he got overshadowed by Judy. You know, Judy had all the flashy numbers and the flashy dead legs, but hey. One thing about Ruggs, when he touched it, he got ghost. I think his, his yards per catch was almost up to 20 yards last year. He was, he, he was crazy. They also came back and picked up Brian Edwards out of South Carolina in the third round and Lynn Bolton out of Kentucky. 
So, so they picked up a, a lot of offensive weapons to match up with Tyrell Williams out there, the former Charger at receiver. So they got better there. And they also picked up my favorite DB, Amik Robinson. So shout out to uh, John Gruden for cutting on that film because I know he watched that film. Amik Robinson, a dog. I told y'all already he was a dog. 5'8 corner, but he got major heart, baby, major heart. Uh, moving along to free agent signings, they also picked up Nelson Aguilar. So like I said, the receiver room should be major. They got um, Malik Collins, D-tackle from uh, the Dallas Cowboys. Also, Jeff Heat. That was a head-scratcher. I don't know <laughs> really what they brought my boy in, what brought him in for. They also signed Corey Littleton from the Rams. That was an excellent pickup. Littleton is a nice sideline-to-sideline backer who can flow and feel. They signed uh, Marcus Mariota as well. So, I don't – the quarterback position should be, you know, great to watch out for with those guys moving forward. I don't really know – Who's going to be the potential guy for them? I mean, you still have Derek Carr on the roster, but you if you had to feel a need to add another guy, if you bring in Marcus Mariota as well, and then it was some rumbling, some mashups that they may bring in another quarterback because uh, John Gruden and Derek Carr don't quite see eye to eye, but hey, they're still moving forward with Derek Carr, so we'll see how that works out. They also signed Jason Witten, to a guy who I thought was going to head back to the uh, broadcast booth after leaving the Cowboys, but they signed Witten and also Demetrius Randall. So moving along to the NFC West, man, let's start off with the Super Bowl runner up, the San Francisco 49ers who drafted Javon Kinlaw and also Brandon Uick out of Arizona State. These are two great linchpin pickups for these guys. I love Javon Kinlaw for them. They just lost DeForest Buckner in a trade with the Colts. And I think that was I don't I don't I don't know what that trade was about, but they replaced him right right away with Javon Kinlaw, a nasty uh, defensive tackle from uh, South Carolina, who's gonna come in and make noise immediately. You you match him up with Solomon Thomas in there. You still have uh, Nick Bosa, who's who's causing havoc as a rookie, and then you still got Eric Armstead in the middle, the big six seven uh, defensive tackle from Oregon. So they still have what. I want to say five, six still first round picks on the on the D line after letting one go. Man, the rich get richer. Uh, they also bring in Travis Benjamin, another speedster, because they uh, also traded uh, Marquise Goodwin. So they bring in Travis Benjamin for the Chargers. He's a nice little pickup. Shout out to you. And then you signed, uh, re-signed Ben Garland at center, and then they re-signed Jimmy Ward. One thing that I have seen: a lot of the good teams, it's not going to be a lot of movement in the offseason unless guys are, co are coming to get their players because they're already set. Okay. So moving along to the Seattle Seahawks, uh, they bring in Philip Dorsett, signed him to a one-year deal. They also picked up my boy Quentin Dunbar, shout out to UF, uh, in a trade with the Washington Redskins for a fifth-round pick and Kyle Allen in compensation. That's, that's going to be a nice little addition to their secondary. I think Quentin Dunbar and Flowers, and they still have my boy uh, the Twins. They still have those guys out there. So I think they're going to be a, another solid defensive year. They brought back Bruce Irvin, and they also signed Greg Olson at tight end. So that's going to be a nice little... Nice little addition. Uh, another great target for Russell Wilson. They use the tight ends very well out there in Seattle. So I think he'll be a nice addition to their offense. Not a lot of movement out there. That defense is still going to be nasty. We know Pete Carroll is going to inspire those guys and have them ready to play. So moving along to the Rams. Of course, I told y'all last week, my two favorite additions were Cam Akers and Van Robinson. Shout out to my boy VJ. But they also brought back Michael Brockers up front after he had signed a deal with the Baltimore Ravens. But they squashed that, brought him in. Uh, also bringing a, a Sean Robinson, big time defensive nose tackle from um, Detroit. So that's a nice pickup. And they also allow Andrew Whitworth to come back for one more year on a three year contract. But I, I'll tell you this. He was almost going to retire, but they, they gave him 30 mil. Say, listen, player, we need you. So they kept him. And they also did I tell you, they, they signed former first round pick Leonard Floyd, who was picked seventh overall out of Georgia uh, to, to the Bears. 
he signs another a one year deal, uh, a prove it deal with the Rams, trying to rejuvenate his career as he was just released and cut from the Chicago Bears. But I, I, we'll see what the Rams do this year. They didn't have a first round pick this year because they traded for J uh, Jalen Ramsey. Um, they have a ferocious defense, you know, led by your boy up front, nasty, nasty Aaron Donald. They lost Dante Fowler in the offseason. They lost Todd Gurley. So, they'll be a new-look team. They lost Brandon Cooks. They'll be a different team. But I still think that Sean McVay will, will find a way with these new pieces to make it work. But the problem is, they're in the toughest division in football. The NFC West is the toughest division in football, dog. I'm telling you, they're going to have two playoff teams, Seahawks and uh, 49ers, barring any crazy injuries. And then you still got the Rams and the Cardinals down here who are formidable, who are going to just be fighting to be over 500. That's what it's going to look like. Moving along to the Cardinals, man, they picked up Isaiah Simmons in the draft this year. I think that was an excellent pick for those. Um, bringing in a, a, a versatile defensive guy to a bad defense. They also signed Devon Campbell, a linebacker from the Falcons, on a two-year uh, deal worth up to $9 million. So that's a nice pickup. They picked up uh, a transitional tag on King and Drake. So, offensively, the Cardinals are going to be elite. You look at the, the acquisition of DeAndre Hopkins. You still have Larry Fitzgerald. You still have Kenyon Drake. You still have Kyler Murray. So, they have weapons for Kingsbury to use. They re-signed Marcus Gilbert, offensive tackle. So, we're just going to say, we're going to have to see how things shake out out there. Again, they may be a year or two away. But I think moving down the line, that team is going to be a very explosive offense to look out for, led by those guys. So as far as predictions go, I'll give you a few for these uh, two divisions. For the AFC West, I, again, I have the Kansas City uh, Chiefs winning uh, the division. But my surprise team for that division is the Chargers. I said they push, uh, pushing pretty hard off the shelf of that defense. I think Daryl James returns this year. He was hurt last year. He becomes another All-Pro player again this year. And then for the NFC West, let's go Seahawks winning the division this year. I think that defense is going to continue to grow, and I think they're going to be tough. Uh, Bobby Wagner, those guys in the middle, Jan Reed up front. I think they're going to continue to be nasty. And I, I think, I think they, I think they take the jump this year. I think San Fran is still going to be elite, you know. And I didn't even say this in uh, the team description. They also traded for Trent Williams, so I, I feel like they they got better. But at the same time, it's hard to be elite, and it's hard to be consistent. That's my only thing. I think they both still go to the playoffs, but let's give Seattle uh, the nod on that end. But I'll say this. I think a team that's going to surprise some people is the Cardinals. I think their offense is going to be very prolific, and they're going to score points, but their defense is still going to be bad. And they're going to need a few more players before they start really, really, really winning, winning games and turning things around out there. But, man, that concludes the show this week, man. And, y'all, I appreciate y'all for tuning in and tapping in. I know it was a lot of info, a lot of thorough info this week. But, man, I appreciate y'all for tapping in with me, man. I thank God for allowing me to do this thing and follow my dreams and push through and get this content out to y'all bi-weekly. You know what I'm saying? Because this thing be tough throughout the week getting it out. But, hey, I, I love the feedback that I'm getting, man. Y'all know we love this and we do this, man. And shout out to my mama, man. Shout out to my dude. Shout out to Pops always tuning in, man. I appreciate y'all. I love y'all, man. Shout out to everybody who tapping in with me, friends and family, loved ones. Let's keep sharing this thing, man. Let's keep it going, man. Every week we need to just keep getting better. And, man, and remember, man, this is the Bet On Yourself podcast where, hey, we bet on ourselves, we trust God, and we let everything else happen, man. Hey, y'all be safe out there, man. Y'all be blessed, man. Wash your hands, man, and wet them ass, man, and stay in the house, man. Tune in, man. Bet On Yourself podcast. You boy, I'm a lot. Yo.